Well, good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. It's good to see all of you here today. My name is Chris. And if you're a guest with us or if you missed last week, just uh, know that you can always go to renaissancechurch.org, click on messages, and there you can uh, watch, listen, subscribe, download, share, and other things. I'm not sure what else there is uh, to our weekend messages. And also, uh, during uh, the, the message today, if you have a smartphone or tablet, you can go to renaissancechurch.org forward slash notes. And uh, there you can kind of follow along to the core points or core thoughts and the, the core verses that I'm going to be walking through. It's just a resource if you're a little ADD or you like outlines. It's there for you. And, uh, but also we leave it up all week long. So if you get to Wednesday and you're like, what was that verse? You can find it there. And then every weekend uh, we put up uh, the new notes. So it's there. Well, uh, last week we established several very important uh, pieces. And, and those pieces will help lay the foundation not only for today, but our next four weeks as we're in this series. And uh, the first one, I think, is the most critical piece we established last week. I mean, it is, I think, if you walk out of here today not hearing anything else, this will be the piece you'll want to hold on to. We established there's two groups of people in the room today, and all of you fit one of those groups. The first group are those of you that love name tags if you love name tags, let's hear from you. Come on, scream, clap. Yeah, be proud. You're like, yeah, name tags. You walked in again today or maybe for the first time. And you're like, oh, they're doing name tags. I love name tags. Yes. The second group that I fit into, you walked in today and you had a twitch because you're like, they're not going to make me put on no name tag. I'm not putting on a name tag. Who, who came up with that stupid idea? No, I'm not. And, right? You're like anti-name tag person. And so here's what I know. Um, we're going to use these later today. So if you're in the group that loves name tags and you've already written your name on a name tag, <laughs> find one out around you. You'll need a blank one. And if you're in the second group and you have shredded your name tag in protest, you'll need this later. Uh, so grab one in the seat uh, around you. But uh, we talked about where all of us wear a name tag with our name written on it, but we, we wear more than just one name tag. Because we also have name tags with our different roles written on them. And every day, we're taking name tags on and off and on and off and on and off. And what becomes really uh, uh, interesting is when we're wearing multiple name tags with our different roles written on those name tags. And there's different combinations. You know, some combinations are simple. For me, it's a triathlete and husband name tag that I wear. And when it comes to training season, I sit down with my wife because training takes time. And it's a very simple conversation because she's really supportive because she knows I want to balance family and my training. So it's a simple combination, triathlete, husband. Some are life-giving. For me, uh, a combination that's really life-giving is son and friend. I mean, I, I will always be my dad's son. But over the years, he's become my best friend. And that's just a life-giving combination that I can wear son and friend together. Some are uh, extremely complicated. For me, wearing a, a, a pastor name tag with CEO, it's complicated. I'm a pastor of Renaissance Church, but Renaissance Church also functions at times like a business. And that's just really complicated for me. Because I want to err on the side of pastor, but there's times I have to be CEO. And times I'm not sure which one to wear, and the person I'm talking to, they're not sure. And it's just, it's complicated. And then there's critical combinations. For me, the critical combination, the most critical, 
is husband, father, and pastor. Or you could remove pastor and maybe just put spiritual leader. And my, my, my call in my life is first and foremost to be the spiritual leader of my family. Secondary is a church. And it's easy to switch those around. And my wife and I, we've just committed together that we're going to keep that at center, that my call as spiritual leader is to be husband, father, spiritual leader. The church is secondary. You all have combinations that you're putting on and off every day. Some are simple, some are life-giving, some are very complicated. And you have the critical combinations. And attached to every role on every name tag that we wear, there's the real and the ideal. Take, for instance, me as dad. There's an ideal that I aspire to, to be dad. That I look to, going, man, I, I hope I'm that dad. And then there's just the reality of me as dad. Like, when I just lose my mind because my kids are just being angels, right? And my head starts spinning, and I'm like, oh, what happened? I, I know, if you're all parents, if you're a parent, you've never lost your mind with your kids. Right? Those moments where you're like, ah, I don't like who I am. And I look at the ideal, I'm like, I wish I could be that dad. But not only do I have an ideal attached to that role, to that name tag, my kids have an ideal attached to that name tag. My wife has an ideal attached to that name tag. My dad has an ideal attached to me as dad. Many of you have an ideal attached to me as dad and pastor. And between the ideal and the real, there's incredible tension, isn't there? That's what makes relationships so complicated. Because not only do we have all these name tags on with all these roles, with the ideal and the real attached to all of them, we start attaching ideals to the people we connect with and their roles. And we all do it. We all do it. So we looked at Romans chapter 12 last week, and the Bible gives us this list of ideals that are much different than probably if we would populate this list. Uh, it would look totally, completely different. And he says, these are the ideals when you're dealing with relationships that you should aspire to, that you should keep in focus, that that's your target. And those lists of ideals were these, to love, to cling to good. That word cling literally means to tie yourself to good because we all, we all have this tendency to drift towards evil. And I'll talk more about evil later. So he said, tie yourself to good because you're going to want to drift towards evil. So don't allow yourself to do that. Elevate others, which was, is completely countercultural. Right? We live in a society about pushing people down, stepping over people, climbing on top of people, knocking people off that ladder so we can accomplish. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. You should be about lifting, elevating people above yourself to serve God. And he tied serving God to spiritual intensity. He goes, if you want your spiritual life to intensify, the words were fervor or zeal, serve, action. It's not about consuming. I mean, sitting in church is great. Nothing wrong with it. But that's not going to intensify your spiritual walk. It's about getting out of your seat and serving God, meeting God with what God's doing, and putting your faith into action. 
serve God. Then he talked about joy and pain. And we all go through seasons of deep, deep pain. Some of you have just come out of that season. Some of you are in the middle of that season right now. Some of you see that season coming towards you, and you just know it's coming. Paul says when when you walk with God and you trust in a sovereign God, you still can have pain, and you can discover joy that only comes from him in that season of pain, that there's joy in pain. To give generously, that's not just monetarily. Paul said, you see a need, identify a need, and how are you going to meet that need? Maybe it's with money. Maybe it's with time. Maybe it's with the talent, how you're wired, how your gift set is, what you're an expert at. But you see the need, and you figure out a way. How can I help meet that person's need? To give generously. To harmonize. Powerful image, especially in the musical context, where you have the melody And when you add harmony, you add depth, and you add movement, and you add interest. And he says we should harmonize with people. One of his examples was to mourn with those who mourn. And it might mean to sit beside someone mourning and cry with them, but it might mean to laugh. It might mean to sit in silence and not say a word. How do you come beside people and add harmony to their life? And then he said, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. And he tied these all together with one simple verse found in verse 18. He says, if it is all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are so good, and I mean we, me included, at pointing out everyone else's faults and everyone else's issues and what other people have done to hurt us. And Paul just goes, no, no, this all comes down to what are you going to do to live at peace? And that list of ideals that he laid out for us are all things we can do to serve God, to harmonize, to give generously, to love, to cling to good. These are ideals that it's up to us to do. And so he wraps them all together and says, hey, hey, you, what are you going to do to live at peace? We skipped over, though, this kind of first part, if it is possible line. And it's almost like he gives us an escape hatch. Did you feel that? Oh, if it's possible. Well, Chris, man, this one person I don't like, it's just not possible. I mean, they're angry, or they're bitter, or they're manipulative, or they're codependent, or they're, I mean, you fill in the blank, right? Do you have some, it is not possible people in your life? You're like, it's just not possible. Yes, I don't have to worry about them. Yes, we can all go home now, close the service. You know, you feel good about yourselves. You're like, yes. If it is all possible, see, all of us in this room, we have people, or, or a person, you know your situation, that has hurt us deeply. 
You might have one person on that list. You might have three or four or five people on that list. You might have chapters of names of people. But we all have been hurt. And the tension resides is, well, if it is all possible, maybe, maybe one of those names on your list, you literally go, it's not possible. Or maybe we don't want it to be possible. Think back with me to elementary school. And specifically, think back to a moment in elementary school when you were on the playground. And think back to that moment when you were in elementary school on the playground when someone hurt you. You have one of those stories? I was in third grade at Oakdale Elementary School. You know what our mascot was? This is awesome. We were the Oakdale Acorns. <laughs> right? Like, who came up with that idea? Like, that's the worst mascot in school history. Like, woo, we're the Oakdale I came from another elementary school uh, in first grade. Uh, we were the Fairview Falcons, which was awesome. Falcons to the acorns. Anyway, so third grade, and uh, we were running outside, and I can picture this day because it was a fall day because I had this gray sweatshirt on, and you could kind of see uh, your breath as you were running outside. And all of us boys would beeline to the merry-go-round. Do you remember merry-go-rounds? I don't think they, they build them anymore. And... Uh, we had one goal on the merry-go-round. We would see how fast we could get the merry-go-round going, and then we would try to jump on. It was awesome, because it's kind of like pinball, because if you miss the gap in the bars, you just get knocked off. So this is what us boys did. So we all beelined out there. We're getting this merry-go-round going as fast as these little third graders we could, and all of a sudden, we started trying to jump on. Well, I was still trying to help push it to get it going faster and faster. And one of the boys had already jumped on. And I remember him saying this. Hey, Chris. Hey, fatso. I don't remember what happened next. I have no clue. I don't know if I ignored him. I don't know if I hit him. I don't know if... You know, I, I walked away and cried. I, I, have no, I have no memory of what happened next. But I can remember, remember that point on that fall day with that gray sweater with those words to this day. To this day. When it comes to the hurts in our lives, they go one of two directions. They either head towards healing. And, and I purposely stated they head towards healing because I think healing's a process. It's not like one day you're hurt, the next day it's like, oh, I, where did it go? Right? It's this process of healing. So it either goes from hurt towards healing to peace. Or it goes from hurt to bitterness to chaos. And we have these hurts in our lives, and we think we have shoved them in a box. But the hurt's still real, and if it's not headed towards healing, 
It's in that realm of bitterness. And when our hurts land in that realm of bitterness, it creates chaos, not just for that one relationship, but for all the relationships attached. The song that Becky sang was a song written by a guy named Trent Reznor, and uh, he's part of Nine Inch Nails. And, uh, but the version, if you've ever heard it, um, that will just, I don't know, Johnny Cash sang it right before he died. And if you've never heard that version, I, I would just encourage you to go home, get it on iTunes. And Johnny Cash had quite an amazing story, um, especially when Christ entered his life and totally turned his life around. And he recorded the song Hurt right before he died. The song starts off with these, these lyrics. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar, familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. Just like I can remember that third grade full day and that boy screaming fatso. We all have these memories that are vivid. From years and years ago, or maybe yesterday. So how do we create peace in our relationships when the hurt's that real? How do we create peace in our relationships when the thoughts remain? Well, we find the answer right here in Romans chapter 12. Now, today I'm not going to give you a three-step, like, how to heal all of your relationships that you can write down and go and leave here and go, oh, they're all healed, yay, I feel great, thank you, Chris. The framework around how to heal relationships so that we can discover peace in our relationships is going to be difficult. And it's going to be counterintuitive to how we would like to handle the hurt in our relationships. But the Bible usually is. And wrapped around verse 18, we get how to heal and how to handle fractured, broken Relationships, relationships that have filled you with pain. You see, Paul starts in verse 17, and uh, he says, Do not repay, and we'll come back to this word repay in a minute. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then he goes in, if this is all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I started thinking about that word evil. And last week I, I, I briefly touched on this word evil, but all week I really thought about this word evil. And what I discovered in my mind was I had an evil scale. It's just a scale of evil. And there's two very opposite extremes on my scale with, with almost nothing in between. So you had these two wide extremes, but yet I couldn't really populate it with anything in between. So on one side, evil. If you've been following what's happened at the mall in Kenya, I mean, I've been reading these articles 
And over and over again, it's this group of people that came into a mall with one goal, to kill people. How do you even wrap your mind around that evil? How do you even, as a, as a person, get to that place where you wake up one morning, grab a gun, and walk into a mall and just shoot people? That's evil. On the opposite extreme, my mind went to this cartoonish, fictional area, right? Like Halloween's coming. And there's going to be, you know, we're going to have Halloween uh, in the opera house part of downtown Summit. And there's going to be all these cute little babies. And one of them is going to be this cute little baby with little red horns and a little tail. And we're going to like, oh, it's so cute. Look at that baby devil, right? It's like, it's this cartoonish image of evil, right? The little devil that pops on one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder. It's this cartoonish thing. But right, those can't be more opposite extremes. Is there something in the middle? So I was like, well, the Bible talks a lot about evil. What does the Bible have to say about evil? So I started there. So I discovered that the Bible has, uh, in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, that the word evil is used 407 times in 387 verses. So when I discovered that, I'm like, well, I should just read all of those verses. It took me some time, but I just said, what does the Bible say? When, they use the word, when the Bible uses the word evil, what does it say? Well, the very first verse in the Bible that uses the word evil is found in Genesis chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Genesis 2, it's, a, it's a, the story about Adam and Eve in the garden. And God had said, do not eat from this one tree. And the, this one tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. First time we read this word evil. And God says, don't eat from that tree. Every other tree... Every, every other shrub, every other bush, whatever you can find, eat, great, but not that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, they ate from that one tree, and they sinned, separated the relationship for God, and they left the garden. The second time we find the word evil is found in Genesis chapter 6. And this is right before uh, the flood co comes, right before Noah builds the ark. And this is what is written in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, I read that, but I had 385 verses left to go. So I just moved through it. And I wish I would have paused on that because that line and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time would come back in vivid detail. So I made my way through the next 385 verses. And there was a couple themes that kind of emerged. One is uh, the Bible uses the word evil just in this generic sense a lot. You know, it wasn't attached to specific evil. It's just... They did evil, and you're like, okay, they did evil. I'm not sure on the spectrum, probably not the cartoon character. It's probably more towards Kenya. Like, they did evil. The second thing I discovered was many times it talked about to shun evil and fear God. And I know we talk a lot about you know, God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of peace. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about fearing God. 
But when you think about shunning evil, the only thing that will give us the capacity to shun evil is to realize how holy and perfect God is. And to face God, sometimes it's fearing who God is and his wrath because he despises sin. Sometimes it takes the fear of God to pull us around from our evil ways to face God. But then I discovered a third thing. Not all the times, but many of the times where the Bible describes a specific act around evil, when it actually kind of describes what evil means, it starts talking about your thoughts and your words. I don't know for you. When I think about evil, Kenya and cartoon devil. But thoughts and words? Evil is attached to lying. It's attached to threats. It's attached to how we talk to each other. It's attached to deceit. It's attached to what we say. It's attached to wicked thoughts. This is my favorite. It's attached to harboring malice in our hearts, but outwardly talking nice to people. We've never done that. And then Jesus just amplifies the thought, because that's what Jesus did. And he, and he says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, which is evil. And as I made my way through, and I thought back to Genesis 6, when God said that every inclination of the thoughts, not actions, of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. This new picture of what evil truly is quickly emerged. And then I read James 3, a verse that I've taught many times over the years. But James writes these words. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. Do you think about our relationships? Think about the people that have hurt you deeply. And we go back to James or to, to Romans chapter 12. And he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. What if we filled that second evil with thoughts or words? Do not repay evil with your thought processes. Do not repay evil with your words, what you say about that person. He goes on, and down here he says, live at peace with everyone and do not take revenge. Don't repay and don't take revenge. Probably the number one way we all take revenge, how we all repay, is we hold on to grudges, don't we? Well, when that person said, when that person did, I can't believe they did, right? We hold on to these grudges. 
And how many times have we had entire conversations in our minds about that person? I can't wait till I see them because when I see them, I'm going to walk up to them. I'm going to tell them exactly what I think of them. I mean, we should all get Oscars for the conversations we have in our minds, right? Come on. Especially the people that have hurt us deeply. And that some points, the conversations leave our mind, and they go to another friend. Oh, yeah, you know what? Man, when I see my dad next time, when I see my mom next time, when I see my sister, when I see that coworker, when I see that boss, you know what I'm going to tell him? I'm going to tell you what I told him because I've thought about this. I have a whole script written out, and I should get an Oscar for this script because when I see them, our thoughts and our words are evil. And hurt either goes to healing, which leads to peace in our relationships, or it goes to bitterness, which leads to chaos in our relationships. It doesn't just stay in the middle. It's, it's headed one direction. And Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't seek revenge. Don't hold grudges. What's going on in your mind? How are you thinking about these people that have hurt you? What are you saying to other people about people that have hurt you? That's evil. That's evil. So don't repay evil with evil. But then he says, but. But. But leave room for whose wrath? We don't like that one because we like, right, we like to evoke wrath on people, don't we? In our minds we do, with other people against the person we do. And sometimes if we actually get to that person, we, I, I just told them what I thought. I gave it to them. Oh, I feel good. And then you walk away. And the hurt now is deeper. Have you ever hit that email and you hit send and you feel so good when you hit send on that email to that person because you told them exactly what you thought because people are really brave behind email. And then moments later, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And now the hurt is deeper and bitterness grows. You see, when we evoke our wrath on people, our judgment on people, whether it's in our mind or with our words, we're saying to God, God, we don't need you. I'm God. God, I know you're holy and you're perfect, but I got this one covered. Hey, God, you sit on the bench. God, the perfect, the holy, the just, the loving God. That's that's his role, not ours. Well, he goes on. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy, who's your enemy? I'd say it's anyone who's on that hurt list. Anyone, anyone who's on that hurt list. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, 
you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what's interesting here is that whole line, heap burning coals on his head. I mean, no, it's not this like vindictive line where you're like, ah, I get to hurt them. See, the Bible says I can hurt them. Yes. It's actually a, from a proverb, Proverbs 25, and it's also found in ancient Egyptian literature. The whole idea of heaping uh, burning coals on someone's head is to try to help make a dynamic change in someone's mind from a place of deep love. Where you love someone, not a feeling, not an emotion, love with action, where you love someone who's your enemy so much that you help change them by loving them. And in doing so, guess what's going to happen within you? going to change you and Paul gives us these specifics if they're hungry feed them if they're thirsty give them some something to drink which means you have to be in close proximity of your enemy to know what their needs are which means you need to be having conversations with them and sitting down with them and and being around them to discover what are their needs so that you can love them with a deep love Now that's difficult, isn't it? Because I know we all have a name on our list that we don't want to be around. I'm not saying some of you, you have a name on your list and you should set up a massive boundary around them because how they have hurt you, you need to protect yourself and protect maybe your kids. My dad's real mom, I never met, ever, because she was emotionally and physically and sexually abusive. And my dad set up a massive boundary. And I didn't even know the details until later into high school, I think, when my dad finally told me why I never met his mom. I'm not talking about that name on your list. talking about the other names where you love them deeply with a heart to help them change but it requires you and then he ends by saying this do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good he comes back around just like in verse 18 if it's up to you if it's, it's if it is all possible create peace See, when it comes to our relationships, it starts with us. And then he says, hey, you have a choice. You can either be overcome by evil or you can overcome evil with good. What choice is it going to be? And remember, evil starts with our thoughts and then our words. And then it moves to actions. So today, I'm going to give you a few seconds, about 60 seconds. Early last year, my youngest daughter, she was in first grade, and uh, we found this note written in a notebook, and uh, she, she never ripped it out. It was just in there, and my wife brought it to me, and uh, I blurred the names to protect first graders, but this is what the note wrote, read. 
dear, fill in the blank. I thought you were my friends, but you aren't. You don't like me for the way I am. I'm sorry. From Claire. And we had an opportunity as parents to sit down with her and talk to her about how she should forgive and how she could use her words and how she could go to school and try to build this relationship with these girls that have hurt her. It's a powerful moment. But what I know is we all have written notes. Maybe not physical notes like that, but we all have notes in our head with a deer. And so right now, 60 seconds, you have a name tag. And I just want you to grab that Sharpie. And I want you to write, maybe it's one name, maybe it's several names. Names that have hurt you deeply. Names that you've been harboring thoughts and words. And then I'll quickly wrap up and give you a couple action steps of what to do with these names. But write them down. Take these, these 60 seconds. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the air and you could have it all my empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you this week it's my challenge for you we're, we're going to talk more about this next week as well uh, especially the specific what to do with these names. But there's a couple of thoughts I want to leave you with. First is this, is my challenge for all of you is to embrace God's forgiveness. It's where it starts. Because the second, the second thought is to extend forgiveness. But for us to really extend forgiveness to people who have hurt us deeply, we first must embrace God's forgiveness that he has extended to us. You see in Genesis 6, the second time the word evil is used, just two verses later, it said that God found favor with Noah. And that, that, uh, those two words, found favor, is actually the first time 
um, the word grace. It's another way for saying grace. Grace was used in the Bible. That God found favor, that God extended grace to Noah. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, for us to forgive, extend forgiveness to people that have hurt us deeply, we must embrace the depth of God's forgiveness in our lives. And number three is to overcome. Let's go overcome, right? We're either going to be overcome by evil or we're going to overcome, be overcome with good. This week, we're going to have thoughts that creep into our head. And the question is, in that moment, when those thoughts what are we going to do? And one of the best ways to counteract those thoughts, start praying for that person by name. I've talked about that before. Try it. When those evil thoughts just explode into your mind, you're like, where did that come from? Just start praying for them. There's a great book, leadership book, that was written called The 4-8 Principle. Uh, if you're, I mean, if, if you love leadership books, it would be a book I'd recommend to all of you. But it's based uh, off of Philippians 4-8. And Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Next week, we're going to look at those names. And what can we do now to take the next step to start resolving the conflict that exists? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. And I know those name tags, there's a lot of hurt attached, a lot of thoughts that are vivid. And Lord, I just pray this week as we move through our weeks, when those thoughts erupt into our minds, that uh, we'll choose to overcome with good and not be overcome with evil. Lord, I pray for healing to take place within those relationships so that peace can rest within our relationships because you are the God of peace. In the name we pray, amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.